Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Vole. Let's find our sermon outline there in our bulletin and turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, please. Matthew chapter 6. You'll find that on page 1504. Everybody's Bible open, please. Today we finish a series we've been in for the past seven weeks. It's a series we've called Pray This Way. We've been looking at the model prayer that Jesus gave his disciples. Some people call it the Lord's Prayer. It's probably more accurately the disciples' prayer. This is a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to know how to pray, not what to pray, but to know how to pray. And so for the last seven weeks, we've been sitting in this beautiful prayer, a prayer that is totally great to recite, but only really if we understand its meaning. So we've been looking at this expositionally, verse by verse, hoping to glean the meaning of this wonderful, beautiful prayer. And just as a summary of where we've been in this series, we've said that there are six major petitions in this prayer. After the opening invitation that Jesus gives when we should pray, Our Father in Heaven, Jesus offers us no less than six petitions. And the first three petitions all deal with our relationship with God. It's as if Jesus wants us to remember that right out of the chute, prayer begins with our focus on God, his name, his kingdom, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we ever get to the needs in our lives, we should be thinking about and praying about the things of the Lord, his name, his kingdom, his will be done. And then we come to our needs, and the last three petitions of this prayer deal with our needs, our basic needs, And then our need for daily cleansing with the issue of forgiveness and forgiving others as we've forgiven, uh, forgiving others as we've been forgiven by the Lord. And then lastly, and today we come to this issue of uh, protection, really understanding, relying on the protection of the Lord in this beautiful phrase of lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. So with that as a little bit of of a review and a preview, let's go ahead and recite the Lord's Prayer together as we have been. Let's recite it and make it our prayer as we begin our teaching time today. And if you want to just read right from your Bible, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, so this is a prayer, and the petition we look at today deals with the protection that God offers us. And this is an amazing place to end this series. When it comes to looking at life in general, Jesus wants us to see that we are all engaged in a spiritual battle. It's a heavy battle, and many of us don't understand it, we don't realize it, but we are in a spiritual battle, and he's offering us protection. Whether you realize, realize it or not, we are in this battle, and discerning believers are aware of this keenly, but undiscerning believers need to be reminded, and today all of us perhaps can glean some things from this petition. I want to open with just a broad statement. You see it there on your outline that when it comes to our spiritual battles, we need to pray in view of two very important 
realities. And so basically we're looking at the two realities that this petition presents to us. Uh, I want you to see they're uh, not two different petitions as some people look at this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Actually, it's one petition all going together. That little conjunction word, but there, reminds us that these two things fit together. And so we're looking at temptation and we're looking at the evil one. The biggest thing I want you to see out of this message today is that God is the one who delivers us and only God delivers us in our spiritual battles. So let's get started. I want to talk first about this issue of temptation and what this word means. Uh, this word in the Greek language is, is an interesting word. It's perosmos and it basically deals with three things. And when we translate it in the English language, it could be temptation, which is mostly the way it's translated in the New Testament, 15 out of 21 times, but it's also translated as testing or trials. Now, when you look at the word test, trial, or the words test, trial, or temptation, you have to kind of wonder why the New Testament uh, uh, writers or interpreters looked at this word perosmos and decided to make it temptation, especially in light of the way this prayer or petition goes. Lead us not into temptation. It seems like we've got a little bit of a quandary here because if you follow Christ for very long, you know that it's possible that the Lord would lead us into trials to teach us things. It's possible that the Lord would lead us into spiritual testing to teach us things. We find lots of examples of that in Scripture. But what about temptation? Would God ever really lead us into temptation? And if he doesn't lead us into temptation, then why would Jesus tell us this is how we should pray? I want to try to answer that question. It's a really important question. So let's look at it from the standpoint of where we should begin. In terms of these two realities, we need to be mindful. Number one, if you're taking notes, letter A there on your outline, we need to be mindful of temptation and the realities that surround it. I want us to walk through some simple realities that the New Testament teaches us about temptation. And they won't take us very long. We'll get right through them. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. Temptation doesn't come from God. Now, right out of the chute here, we realize that, uh, that God doesn't tempt us because we go to the book of James, chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, and we read this. In fact, I want you to turn there. Go to the book of James, chapter 1. You'll find it on page 1881 if you're using that book rack Bible. But I want your eyes to see this because it's really important. This actually is going to give us a hint as to why Jesus would invite us to pray that God wouldn't lead us into temptation in terms of what that means. James 1, chapter 1, verse 13 says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Now, there was a little hint in that passage about what Jesus, I believe, is getting at here in this petition of lead us not into temptation. But I wanted you to see that God does not tempt anybody. That is not from God. God. Temptation does not come from God. So as you look at this in terms of your own life, you say, well, wait a minute. If that's true, um, then how do I put together some of the issues of my life that are not necessarily temptations but trials and testing that comes into my life? If you're still there in the book of James, you'll notice right up at the top, 
James says that we should consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds. And by the way, there's the same Greek word for that we find here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, for temptation, parismos. It's the same word. So we should consider it joy when we experience parismos. But was Jesus talking about trials or was he talking about temptation? Well, again, I think that the reality that it wouldn't be trials because we wouldn't say to God, God, don't lead me into trials because God wants to lead us sometimes into trials and testing in order to build our character. And that's, in fact, why James says we should consider it a joy when we have those kinds of situations. So no matter what you think about temptation, get this clearly in your heart and mind, God doesn't bring us into temptation. God doesn't tempt us. So why would he teach us to pray that he not lead us there. We'll get to that in a minute. Let me give you a second point about temptation, a reality of temptation. Number two, temptation isn't sin. Sometimes we confuse temptation with sin. Like if we've been tempted, we feel like somehow we've, we've you know, become stained, and we haven't been. Temptation is not sin. How do we know that? Because Jesus himself experienced temptation. If Jesus experienced temptation, we ought to experience it, or we ought to expect to experience it as well. And we know through the gospel record that Jesus was tempted on a number of occasions. We have probably the big temptation that we think about in Matthew chapter 4, recorded there, and in Luke chapter 4, when right after his baptism, boom, he goes out into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And there's three very powerful temptations that really only apply to Jesus in that narrative of Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. But at the end of Luke, chapter 22, verse 28, we read that Jesus said to his disciples that they had been with him through all of his perismos, all through his temptations. So how many temptations did Jesus endure for us? Only he knows. The point is, Jesus was tempted, and so we can expect to be tempted too. I love what Hebrews 4.15 says. We'll put it on the screen. Let's read it out loud together. This is Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Aren't you glad? That is so comforting to me that Jesus himself was tempted in the same ways that I'm tempted. But the difference is Jesus never bowed to temptation. Is temptation sin? No. Only if I commit the sin that I'm being tempted to do. A third reality that I want us to see here is that not only uh, is temptation not a sin and that Jesus himself was tempted, I want you to te- tempted as well. I want you to see, number three, that God never allows us to be tempted beyond what we are able to endure or able to bear. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us this. This is an amazing reality when it comes to temptation. I mean, wow, when I think about the fact that God promises, listen to what the promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's amazing. When you realize that God has promised us to never put us in a situation that is too heavy too strong that we cannot get out, escape that temptation. That is amazing. God is never going to lead us to a place where we're in over our head. 
A few years ago, I had the privilege with a few of my buddies uh, to actually experience flying a jumbo jet. I think I've told this story before, but it's a great application for this point. It was a simulator at the Travis Air Force Base for no less than a C-5A jumbo cargo jet. The biggest jet, I think, in the Air Force, as far as a cargo jet is concerned. Giant, bigger than a 747. And in fact, I heard that some pilots that work for United and others actually would go to that simulator and they did training there as well for them. So this guy that knew us and knew our, my love for flight and how much fun this would be, we went up to Travis Air Force Base in the middle of the night and we went into this simulator and we sat down at the console and he asked us where we wanted to take off from. You could take off from any airport in the United States, any Air Force base in the United States, and in fact, all over the world. And so, man, we were flying out of Hawaii. We were flying out of places in Europe. We were flying out of San Francisco. And he would put up the grid on the on the. So you're right in the cockpit and you're looking at a nightscape of every one of the cities that that he mentioned. But here's the fun part of the illustration. We took off and we flew this thing. And he explained that one of the things a simulator does is it helps pilots to deal with troubleshooting that they might have in real flight. And of course, if they don't handle the troubleshooting right, uh, doing it in a simulator is a lot better than doing it live, if you follow what I'm saying. And so this is the beauty of a simulator. So we would be flying, he would get us off the ground, we would be up flying around this big jumbo jet, and man, it felt just like a jet, we're flying along, we're having a great time, and then boom, one engine goes out. He shuts down the third engine on the right side, or he shuts down two engines on the left side, and suddenly the whole plane is moving, and it's crazy. We're spinning and moving, and we're trying, there's buzzers going off, and beepers going off, and we don't know what to do, and we're trying to correct it, and he's not helping us. And we're just getting worse and worse into trouble. And you know what? Every time he threw us a trouble, we crashed the plane. Yeah, we crashed. Now, of course, we lived through it. In fact, it was so realistic up to the crash that one of the guys we were with got so you know, sick to his stomach because of all the movement on the plane. He had to get out of the cockpit. And I'll never forget, as we were doing this spiral spin down to the ground he gets up to leave and I see the door open and I can see the reflection through the windows in the cockpit of the warehouse that we're in it was just a crack up to be in that situation now here's the illustration God doesn't allow us to ever be in a situation watch this God never puts us in a situation where he knows we're going to be over our head he never puts us there but watch this The reason I believe why Jesus taught us this petition to pray this way when it comes to our spiritual battles is that although God is never going to put us in a place over our head that we can't handle, you know what? We can put ourselves there. We can decide to go to places. We love coming right up on the edge. We love coming right to the edge of temptation and just see what it feels like to be there. Some of us know what that's like. We like getting close to the edge. God didn't put us there. Remember what James says? Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own evil desires. James 1.14. What Jesus is referring to is not that God is going to lead us there, but our prayer is saying, God, would you remind me when I'm in this spiritual battle that I should never be in a place, Lord, never let me get to a place where I am too vulnerable and might have a terrible, terrible fall. 
This is, I believe, what's behind this petition. It's an amazing thing to look at, and I hope that some of us are just grasping this point. It's so good. I don't know about you, but uh, there's all kinds of examples around us all the time. And I think sometimes in our lives, we, uh, we forget that God makes it very, very simple. Uh, maybe another story. Have you ever been around a bug zapper? You know what I'm talking about, a bug zapper? Uh, I used to go to vacation during the summertime with my parents back to Minnesota. And in Minnesota, there are mosquitoes the size of birds. I mean, maybe small birds, but they're huge. And these bug zappers would be, I can just picture it in my mind. We're sitting outside. It's a warm summer evening. And there's bugs everywhere. But people that are smart would have these bug zappers. And every few seconds, you would hear this zap. And you look up and you see that a bug got too close to the light. And zap, 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 zap. And you just hear it constantly over and over and over again. John Ortberg, in his book on the Lord's Prayer, uses the bug zapper as an example or an illustration of the way we too are warned not to proceed past certain boundaries in our lives lest we get too close to the flame. When speaking of sexual temptation, for example, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon writes, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? This is Proverbs 6, 27 through 29. Verse 28, can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Can't you just hear? Zap. Somebody got too close to the flame. Our culture is rife with example after example after example. I mean, think about it. If I were a bug and were flying near a bug zapper and I saw all the carcasses of bugs laying in the trays, laying on the ground, I would think... I would say, I don't want to get close because look what happens. When Jesus said that we should pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, he's saying, Lord, give us wisdom to know the areas of our lives where even though you would never tempt us, you would never place us in a situation that would be over our head, God, we sure like to go there. We sure like to feel the temptation. We sure like to think we could get out of it. And sometimes we don't. Someone has written, We prove how strong we are, not by how we cope with being tempted, but by seeing how far we can get from the temptation that could undo us. Did you get that? In other words, the real issue of our lives is not seeing how we cope when being tempted, but how far we can get away from things that we know, that we know could undo us. Some of us have little secret areas of our lives that if the truth were known, we just, we just court things a little too closely in our lives. And, and nobody really knows about it. One of the things you can do to unhook that or lessen the strength of that in your life is confide with a couple of trusted friends. Here's an area where I find temptation. So when I go here or where I go there or if I'm in this environment, I, I've, got, I've got problems and I, I'm likely to be tempted. One of the greatest things you can have is accountability from people that love you that when you express where you're weak, where there's areas of potential of vulnerability in your life, it sort of takes the steam and the power of the enemy out of our lives. I think that's all under that 
principle. One last little reality about temptation that I think is really important. We have the greatest help possible whenever we find ourselves in temptation. That's so beautiful. And what is the greatest help? It's a person. Hebrews 2.18 says it this way. Because he himself, Jesus, suffered when he was tempted, he is able to come to the aid of those who are being tempted. He can come. He is able to help those who are being tempted. I'm so grateful for that. Jesus is the one who helps us. Our Savior is ready to come even to those places. Listen, it's not too late. If we put ourselves in an environment that's over our head, we can call on Jesus. But the point is, don't get there. Do everything you can to stay away from those areas. And that's what our prayer life should reflect. Someone has said it this way, it's easier to stay out of trouble than to get out of trouble. Let's say that together. It's easier to stay out of trouble than to get out of trouble. Come on, say it one more time. It's easier to stay out of trouble than to get out of trouble. I like that statement because it's so true. When you're in trouble, when you get into trouble, man, your life gets tangled and pretty soon you got this thing piled on this thing and, and, and you feel like you're getting overwhelmed and you can't get out. If you just stay away from it, you don't have to deal with the tanglement of that sin. You don't have to be entangled. So that's what I wanted you to see. I wanted you to see in this beautiful reality, in this petition of lead us not into temptation, that it's not that God is ever going to take us to a place where we're going to be tempted, but rather we want his protection to keep us from going to places where we would be over our head, where we would be in vulnerable places. All right, so let's move gear. Let's change gears a little bit. We need to be mindful of temptation and the realities that surround it. But here's the second big reality in this petition. We need to be mindful of our enemy, who is Satan. Satan is not behind every temptation because James tells us that sometimes we're tempted by, because we're just carried away by our own evil desire. But Satan does tempt us, and Satan has set up an elaborate system that brings temptation to us every single day. This phrase in the petition that we're looking at today, deliver us from the evil one, is such a beautiful phrase. As we start into this little part about thinking about the enemy, Satan, I want to tell the story I heard about a woman who every day went out on her porch, and this is her practice. She would just simply go out on her porch, and she would cry out loud, praise the Lord. Every day she came out, praise the Lord. She just had praise in her heart to the Lord. Every single day, she would come out and do that. Well, an atheist moved in next door, and he didn't like these incessant praises that she was making to God. He became very annoyed. So sometimes he would just sort of hang back in the bushes, and he would, he would you know, tell her that there is no God, and tell her to be quiet and stop praising God. But she kept right on going. One day, the woman was in trouble, and she went out on her porch, and she said, oh, Lord, help me. I'm in real need. I'm out of food. I need groceries. I don't have any food in my, in my pantry. She went back in the house. The atheist heard this, and so he, he, he did something about it. Well, the next day she came out, and there on her porch were several bags of groceries, enough for an entire week. And she cried out loud, praise the Lord, you've saved my life. And he was hiding, and he comes out, and he goes, you're stupid, that's not God, that was me. I bought the groceries, I put the groceries on your porch. And without even a blink, 
She just said, praise the Lord. God sent me groceries and he made the devil pay for them. I like that. You know what that tells me? That when we praise God, we, we destroy the enemy's design in our lives. We can destroy, God wants to do things in our lives and sometimes, watch this, he can even use the lousy things that the devil is throwing at us for his good. Doesn't, isn't that what Romans 8.28 says? For God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan. So sometimes we're getting knocked down by the enemy and we have to realize that one of the ways that we stand back up is through praise. I want to encourage you with that right off the bat. Let's look at a couple things that are true about our enemy as we move through this. These are going to go really quick if you're taking notes. Number one, he is real. He is real. Revelation 12, 9, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, they all speak of this being that is our enemy, and he is real. He's not a fairy tale. He's not dressed in a red flannel suit. He doesn't carry a pitchfork, but he is real. He was the once highest ranking angel of God, created by God to bring God praise, but turns away from Almighty God, incites a rebellion in heaven, and was kicked out. The Bible describes these events to us in the passages I just shared. He is real. Number two, he's your one true enemy. Though defeated by Christ's life, death, and resurrection, 1 John 3, 8, Jesus came to destroy the devil's work, he would intend to destroy you, the devil, he would intend to destroy you if he could. But you see, Jesus has defeated him. But while we live in this world, and in this present time, he is still causing havoc all over the world, injustices, problems everywhere we look. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in darkness. We realize that our struggle, listen, if you're thinking your struggle is your husband or your wife or a neighbor or a coworker or a son or a daughter or someone, anyone, Anyone, if you think your problem is focused with those people, they're the origination, you're wrong. The problem is a spiritual battle, and we're in a spiritual battle based on the enemy that we, that we are all dealing with. He's real. He's our one true enemy. I think Martin, uh, Martin Luther, in the beautiful hymn that he penned back in the 15th century, 16th century, a mighty fortress is our God. I love this verse. A bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Wow. You realize that's the enemy that we're up against. He is real and he's our one true enemy. But thanks be to God that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our deliverer. A third thing about our enemy is that he is a liar. Everything he says is a lie. Jesus said in John chapter 8, 44, that the devil is a liar. He can only speak lies. He's the father of lies. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, we find that even unbelievers don't realize that the devil has lied to them. He has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the glorious gospel that is in Jesus Christ. And how does he do that? He does that through deception. Number four, the devil is on the prowl. 1 Peter 5, 8, 
says that the devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Lions only roar when they have their prey in their grasp. That's a picture of how so many times we are vulnerable, we don't even realize it. He has us in his grasp because we're not praying the way Jesus taught us to pray. We're not looking at the spiritual battle. Number five, his personal mission is to kill, steal, and destroy. John 10.10 reminds us of this. Jesus came to give us abundant life, a life that is full and meaningful. But Satan has come to destroy us. I'm I'm reminded there's a commercial on TV about a famous or a, a very popular insurance agency and they personify mayhem with a man, a person. And they're really actually clever commercials. I like them. It shows a guy just destroying things with a car and he's telling a driver in a car to do something stupid and then they do it and, you know, big accident. He's on the roof of a house and he falls. He's des- he describes himself as mayhem. And every time I see that commercial, I think that's a, a similar way of thinking of our enemy. He's mayhem. He wants to destroy. That's all he wants to do in our lives. Number six, he's, he has a multi-level strategy to defeat us. Have you ever thought about that? He has a strategy to defeat us. That's amazing when you think about it. 1 John 2, 5, 15 through 17 reminds us that we have the battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we should not love the world. For everything in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life is not from God. It's not of the world. And those are the things that Satan uses to suck us in to his strategy. He's got a multiple way multiplicity of ways. And if we could do forensics on the crimes and the injustice of the world, we would see Satan's fingerprints, if he had any. He's a spiritual being, but we would see Satan's fingerprints all over those things. Lastly, quickly, he cannot penetrate our spiritual armor. This is great news. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, talks about that we have been given a spiritual armor from which we can buffet the enemy's attack. Um, I like what my Greek professor used to say. He said, if you studied for this exam, your prayers will be of help. But if you didn't study, don't expect prayer to do much for you. <laughs> I can remember sitting in quarterfinals or you know, final exams, year-end exams in Greek, and I can remember thinking, wow, that is so true. If I've studied, prayer helps. If I haven't studied, I shouldn't really count much on prayer. And that's the point of what Jesus is saying here. When we pray, we should realize God has given us armor. If we're wearing the armor, if we're trusting, and by the way, we did a whole series called The Good Fight, and it it clearly articulates all the aspects of Satan's strategy in our lives, and you can go online and you can listen to those messages, and there's one entire message there on the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, and you've got to wear the armor. You've got to wear the armor of God, the believer's armor, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. There are listed the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. If we don't have our armor, we are sitting ducks. So this is how Jesus would have us pray. In conclusion, I want us just to think a little bit about the way our prayers should look, the tone of our prayers, in light of what we've talked about so far today. And and these are not in your notes. Uh, You might want to flip your outline over if you can, or somewhere there in your outline, squeeze these in. There's three things I want to talk about briefly. Number one, in light of all this stuff, 
in light of what Jesus is saying here in this petition, our prayers should demonstrate a sense of spiritual vigilance. I mean, you remember Jesus said in the garden to his disciples, he said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Watch and pray. You remember he said the spirit is willing, but the body is weak, Matthew 26, 41. So what, one thing that our prayer should emulate if we're gonna pray this way, according to this petition, is there should be a sense of spiritual vigilance in our lives. We should realize that the battle is waging and the stakes are high, they're so high. And maybe someone sitting here today needs to be reminded of the fact that God sees the situation in your life. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows the issue that you don't have any clue as to how you're gonna get through. And he's saying, would you wear the armor? Would you see that you are engaged in a spiritual battle? Would you stop playing Christianity and get down to business? And that's gonna include prayer, a kind of prayer that has a, a spiritual vigilance behind it. Number two, our prayer should demonstrate the need for discernment. In other words, we should be thinking, in light of this petition, Lord, where are the areas that are the trouble spots in my life? Where are the things that are gonna possibly take me down because maybe I just depend a little too much on you protecting me when I put my neck out there, when I get too close to the flame. I don't wanna be like a bug in the zapper. I wanna trust you, Lord. So are you praying with discernment today? Are there areas of your life that you need to come clean about with a good friend, a trusted friend, someone that knows your life, someone that can watch your life? I mean, don't say that to a pastor necessarily unless a pastor is really in your life and walking with your life. You need a good friend, someone that you trust. Say, here are the areas where I'm vulnerable. Thirdly, our prayer should demonstrate some form of urgency. It should be passionate intercession knowing the times that we're living in. And we do this with an eye on those around us, that we pray this in community. Remember, this whole prayer is a prayer that uses plural pronouns. So when we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we're realizing that we're in, in, in very many practical ways, we are our brother's keeper. We do need to look out for each other. We need to see our loved ones, the people around us, sitting next to us here today. We need to be reminded that our prayers make a difference in their lives. We can intercede for them. We have an intercessory ministry that prays for urgent needs that come through our doors. We could use hundreds of more people involved in our intercessory ministry. We could have people praying on our campus. We could be doing all kinds of things wherever wherever the Spirit of God is leading us to intercede, to be more passionate in prayer. What is God leading you to do in the area of prayer that would build up this body, would give us greater spiritual protection? All right. Those are three areas that I hope will encourage your life today. When we pray as Jesus taught us, you know what? We will accept his invitation. We'll proclaim his glory. We'll desire his reign We'll do his will. We'll trust his provision. We'll embrace his mercy. And we'll rely on his protection. Now that's praying the way Jesus taught us to pray. I hope that this series, in maybe fragments, maybe some big things, but just in the daily expressions of our prayers, we will pray this way. 
don't fear if you feel like you haven't arrived because I haven't arrived. There's so much I still need to learn about prayer. But thank you, Lord, for giving us such a beautiful prayer, one that we can walk into every day. We can recite it to the Lord now, hopefully knowing what each one of those phrases mean. Now today, if you've never opened your heart to Christ, it's your opportunity because you need his protection in your life. The devil would love to hold you right where you are in a place of unbelief, a place of spiritual death. But today, if you've heard that Jesus Christ can liberate you and deliver you, see it in the gospel. For God so loved the world, Jesus died for you. He rose again from the grave so that you could have spiritual life in him. And today, if you are a Christ follower, and you need to come back to some basics or you need to stay away from some areas that you know are pulling you down, then this right now is a time to get serious with God and to devote your life to Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word and for these teachings that come from your word. I pray, O oh God, that you would liberate us today and that you would protect us as you promised. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.